0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swann and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. With me to Judges 10. I'll try to regain my composure a little bit here. Judges chapter 10. I can just tell you this right now. My, my study time these last few weeks is just, the Lord is just so faithful. I can just get into the scriptures and, Man, I begin to write, and so, just the goodness of God. So, most this morning we're going to be in the book of Judges. Again, uh, before you you get there, I'm just going to tell you a couple of things. You know, right now we live in a society where I, I wonder at times: do we really trust in the, do we trust in God, or do I put my trust in Google? Am I more dependent on Siri? that I am on the word of God. And those, those to me are, are very legit questions. And so I, those are things I, I encourage you to look to God. Look to the word of God un, unlike any other time in your life. And so as we start here in the book of Judges, Judges was a very dark period in the, the time of the, the nation of Israel. It, it was very chaotic kind of like our world is right now. And so to help us understand this, I'm gonna start in Judges chapter 10, verse number six. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now what you find happen when you study the kings in the Bible, they're they're listed as either one of two ways. They either did what was right in the sight of the Lord or they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So right here, it says here, the children of Israel, uh, again, they continued, they were persistent, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, this was God's chosen, okay? And they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Not in the sight of man, but they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Continue with me. And they served the Baals, the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines. So when you see what he's talking about, the Israelites had given themselves over to seven different types of idols. They they begin to bow to these idols. They begin to worship these idols. And look how he ends in verse six and he says, and they forsook the Lord and they did not serve him. So to serve the Lord is I I obey him. I call out to him in prayer. I, I worship him. I bow before him. And so the Israelites quit doing any of that. Verse number seven, so the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Now, when I read the word there, the anger, He was hot against them. It shows a side of God that oftentimes we don't want to look at, but it literally broke God's heart here, that, that his chosen, that he would be so good that they would forsake him and not serve him anymore. And it goes on to say, And he sold them or he turned them over into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. This wasn't God's design. This wasn't what God wanted to do. But listen, because of their choices, because of their decision, it's very similar to our choices and our decisions. And and so when you study this, and I'm gonna stay in Judges 10, but we're gonna go to verse 10 from verse Seven, where we ended to verse 10, is 18 years. And so I know from the scriptures in this time span, for 18 years, they wouldn't serve God. So I put myself into this and I think this what would my life look like if I didn't have God in my life for 18 years? For me, that's a recipe for disaster. Verse 10, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. One translation says, they finally cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and and we serve the Baals. Now, when I looked at what they did here, this was the thought that came to me. Do I look to God as my last resort? And and I believe God's okay with that when we call out to him. But that's not his best for us. Why why don't I get in this mindset? Why Why don't I look to God as my first resort? Instead of my last resort. And so they look to God. Now we we go through time a little bit. Turn with me to Judges 13. Judges chapter 13. And we begin in verse one. Again, in my Bible, I highlighted the word again. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, Again, One, one passage talks about this was the sixth Cycle of this type of sin uh, again, and, and when I see the word again, I have the thought: Can, can that define me again? Where my life is, I, I serve God whenever things good, and when I get what I want, but before long, I, I divert back again to a lifestyle of sin. And again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered him to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now I begin to look at something else. What what would my life look like without God being involved with it for 40 years? And it was a result of they ignored God. God didn't ignore them, they ignored God. Verse two. Now there was a certain man From Zorah, the the family of the Danites. Let me share just a little bit about the Danites. If you study the the history of the Israelites, they come from the 12 tribes. The Danites were from the tribe of Dan. This is still in existence in Israel. I I love to ask people when I was in Israel, "What, what tribe are you from? And they would always respond and some of them would say, how do you know about the tribes? Because it's always been interesting to me. So the tribe of Dan or the Danites would be back just west of the city of Jerusalem. And it would proceed all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Here's a little thought for you, just a side note. Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Jesus' descendants was the tribe of Judah. Just a little thought, biblical. So he goes on to say of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Now, in this time, a woman that was barren was viewed as disgraceful. Now, I think back just a little bit. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. We read a few weeks, Elkanah's wife, Hannah, was barren. So you see this takes place there some. Verse three. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Woo, happy day. Verse four. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. Now this is what the angel of the Lord said to this woman and he specifically challenged her in her conduct and even in her lifestyle. And what you find is this, the effects of the parental example is very powerful in this thing called life, even long lasting, called generational. You know why? Often our children will follow our paths. Verse four or five. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Now listen to this. And he shall begin to deliver or rescue Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He will begin. Now, this process went for a long, 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 long time. It went to the prophet of Samuel and it wasn't fulfilled until until King David came into being. So we see a word in there that's very interesting. It says, he shall be a Nazarite. What does that mean? It literally meant that he would be set apart for God's service. It had the meaning that he would be devoted Or consecrated and so he would take this vow of consecration three things that they did to become a Nazarite number one they would not partake of any form of wine or any intoxicating drink at all period number two they would never cut their hair Part of that of not cutting their hair was a symbol of their loyalty to God. And the third thing is they were never to touch any dead corpse, whether it was human or an animal. So this is how this angel of the Lord said, this son of yours will be raised. So time goes by, same chapter, verse number 24. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. Now remember when they would name their children, there was always spiritual implication behind that. The name Samson, the Sam in it stood for son, S-U-N, or a light. The son at the M of Samson stood for as a shield. So literally his name meant he would be a light and a shield the nation of Israel. It became prophetic. So the child grew and the Lord blessed him. He grew not only physically, but he grew spiritually. Verse 25. And the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit begin to move upon him, begin to work with him, begin to develop him. One translation says the Holy Spirit begin to stir on the inside of him. I don't know about you, I like when the Holy Spirit stirs on my inside. And so the Holy Spirit begin to stir in this man named Samson. We move right on into chapter 14. Judges 14 verse one. Now Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now if you watched a few weeks ago, remember the Philistines, their God was the God of Dagon. Very ungodly. And so he sees a woman who's rooted and grounded as a Philistine in the worship of the God called Dagon. Verse two. So he went up and he told his father and mother saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Verse one it says he saw. Verse two says he had seen. Proverbs seven verse 25 in the Passion Translation says this. Control your sexual urges Guard your hearts from lust. Do not lock your eyes onto a beautiful woman. Now I highlight that because throughout scriptures, you find many, 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 many godly men who got in trouble because of their eyes. Verse three. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? So Samson's parents, they voiced their disapproval. You know why? 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't do it. And when they talked about this woman, they said this uncircumcised Philistine. The uncircumcised meant she has no covenant with Father God. So I look at this verse and I think, sometimes in our lives, we have this thought that we can override scripture and there's not going to be any consequences for it. I can willfully break what the scriptures tell me to do, and God will be okay with it. Romans six twenty three says this: the wages of sin is death. Better stated, the recompense of sin. Is death. So when I willfully choose to disobey the scripture, this is what takes place. So I'm reading that. The recompense of sin is death. So here's a great thought for you. So, what's the recompense of righteousness? Life and blessing. Woohoo! When you choose to do what God's way, I'm telling you, there is gonna be kingdom life and kingdom blessing on you. So we go back to verse three. And Samson said to his father, get her for me for she pleases me well. For she is fitting in my eyes. She caught my eyes. Now that statement there, get her for she pleases me well. It literally means for she is right in my own eyes. So I springboard off of that. A couple weeks ago, I highlighted Judges 21-25 for it says, the reason the people were in such bad shape, they did whatever was right in their own eyes. So when I start doing what's right in my own eyes, that's not good. That's why I, I welcome the word of God. I welcome the scriptures. So in reading this right here, this literally begins to foreshadow the downfall that Samson would experience. Not good. So now here, because of time's sake, I'm gonna have to do some paraphrasing for you. So Samson takes her as a wife. And down the line, he abandons her. He leaves her. And so wheat harvest starts up for the Philistines. And as wheat harvest begins, Samson decides, I'm I'm gonna go back and visit her. I'm gonna pay her a little visit. So he strolls back into where she's at. And her father looks at him and says, I thought you abandoned her. I thought you hated her. When you see the word hate, it literally means I thought you divorced her. So his father-in-law says to him, I gave her to another man. But she's got a little sister. How about you take her? Well, when Samson hears this, he becomes furious. He becomes outraged. And so Samson begins to plot, what can I do against the Philistines to get even with them? So what he does, he goes out and he captures 300 foxes. Now, Samson had a problem with women, but these 300 foxes weren't women, okay? He's, he's literally talking about real live animals, So he captures three, that's a thought for you, okay. He he captures these 300 foxes. He gets the foxes and he puts them in pairs of two. And so to do that, he grabs them by their tails, he ties their tails together. When he ties their tails together, in the midst of where he ties it, he sticks a torch between their tails. Then he lights the torch on fire. Now think about this just for a little bit. What would you do if you had a torch tied to your tail? So literally these foxes, they begin to play tug of war. One of them would run this way, the other one would run this way and they would go over these wheat fields just like that. And so it says here that the wheat fields were all consumed that, that he burned their, their orchards and even their olive gardens or their olive groves. So now we pick up chapter number 15, verse number six. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. We're just going to torch you. You're the problem. We're just going to torch you. Verse seven. So Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that, I will cease. I won't get rest until I take revenge off of you. Now, this is where I'm headed this morning, to talk about this thing called revenge, I'm gonna ask this question. How many of you have ever thought or plotted revenge against someone? Or how many of you've actually did an act that was revenge or retaliation? You don't have to raise your hand because it's unanimous. Whether you've actually done, you've thought about it. Now, I highlight this because what you're gonna to begin to see is, is literally right here the, the cycle of revenge, what takes place. Watch in these upcoming verses how this looks, verse, verse eight. So Samson attacked them hip and thigh. The word hip and thigh there, it was a military expression that it literally meant it was a vicious attack. It literally says that he went after their, their horsemen and their foot soldiers is what this meant. So he goes after them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. It doesn't tell me how many in this occasion, but it says a great slaughter. Then he went down and he dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and they deployed themselves against Lehi. These were the Israelites is where they're at. The Philistines are looking for them. Verse 10, and the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Payback, payback, retaliation. And and what I find out about payback and retaliation, this thing's a monster. When we start living by, by payback, man, it's not good at all. Keep reading. Verse 11, in 3000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and they said to Samson, do you know that the Philistines rule over this? What is this that you've done? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them retaliation, payback. So we look, the Philistines are saying, we're going to get him. He's saying, I'm going to get them. This is the cycle that takes place. But they said to them, we have come down to arrest you. Now these were the Israelites. And this is what they're saying to Samson, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him saying no or all right, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and they brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Now you can imagine what they were shouting. It wasn't good. Then the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit at work in him, came mightily upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands. Now remember, one of the characteristics that highlighted Samson was his physical strength. Verse 15, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and he reached out his hand and he took it. Now this donkey was dead, okay? So he breaks his Nazarite vow right here. He overrides what he wasn't supposed to do. But he takes the jawbone of the donkey and he killed a thousand men with it. Again, you see his strengths enabled him to do exploits, but eventually his moral weakness led to to self-destruction. I want you to think about this just for a second. I've never seen a jawbone of a donkey. So I'm having to imagine this in my mind. But he he picks up this jawbone of a donkey. And and he slays a thousand men. Now if you can picture that, I, I begin to look at this, that evidently these men are coming at him and this guy just bang. You're talking about someone's bad to the bone. I, I mean, you think about a, a 10 of them, what that would look like, but there's a thousand of them. So I'm thinking, how would you like to be number 990? And you're looking, everybody goes at this dude. Bam! Listen to what it says here, verse 16. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, Heaps upon heaps. I've seen dead cattle where they've been stacked like a hundred of them that were killed. But a thousand men and these thousand Philistines, these were soldiers. These weren't guys in cheerleader outfits. A thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey I have slain a thousand men. Now, when I read into this, I begin to see a couple things. He overrides what his Nazarite vow was, we saw that. But if you look at the the statement in verse 16, he said, I have slain a thousand men. I have slain a thousand men. He he mentions God nowhere. He mentions the Holy Spirit at work in him nowhere. And so now because of his strength, he's got this thought. I can do whatever I want to do. Now turn with me back into the New Testament to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. And as you're turning there, we're a lot like the Philistines and Samson when it comes to this thing called revenge. We get to a place in our life where we we almost feel justified, justified to have a, a bitter hatred within us. And so what begins to happen with human beings, me and you, that when we allow this bitter hatred to go on and on and on and on and on and on, this cycle of retaliation again and again and again, It creates within us a root of bitterness. When I look at the word root, a root begins to absorb stuff. Even though it's underground and you can't see it, it's absorbing stuff. So when we highlight the root of bitterness, it absorbs anger, it absorbs hatred, the thoughts of revenge, even detailed accounts that we replay over and over in our mind. How many of you have ever replayed over and over in your mind a hurt in your life that someone caused? Probably every one of us. The Lord Jesus said this in Matthew 18, verse 7. He said, For offenses must come. For offenses must come. For hurts are inevitable. So Jesus gave us a warning, hurts and pains, offenses, they're gonna come. So the issue wasn't if they're gonna come, the issue becomes what am I gonna do with it? So according to Jesus' words, offenses will come. It is inevitable that someone's gonna hurt you. Someone's going to disappoint you. Someone's going to lie to you. Someone's going to stab you in the back. Someone's going to reject you. Now you may be sitting here or you may be watching live stream today. Is there someone in your life right now? You say, that's me, Pastor. I, I've been hurt. They, they've caused pain in my life. Luke six, verse 27. Notice this is red letter words and the Lord Jesus said, but I say to you who hear, heed it, make it a practice, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Not one word about retaliation or revenge. And so when I read this right here, I think, Man, Lord Jesus, you you set the bar incredibly high. Do, do you really expect us to live that way? And you know what he would say? Yes, I do. With my help. Verse 28. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. How many of you ever had someone spitefully use you? I've had that. And it's interesting, the two words he uses, he says, bless and pray. To bless and to pray, that has to do with my speech. That has to do with my words. That has to do with speak well. And so when God blesses men, he grants them favor and confers happiness upon them. So I have to walk the scripture out. I begin to look at it. And there was a person in my life that caused huge pain, huge pain to me. It's interesting when someone causes pain to you because they may look at another person and that person says, they were good to me. Well, they didn't cause pain to you. They caused pain to me. So I begin to to see these verses here in my own life. And the Lord began to move Will you obey? Will you obey this? So I begin to pray this prayer right here. And I said, Heavenly Father, I come before you right now. And I ask you to work in their life. That statement right there. I ask you to work in their life, that person who caused pain. And better stated, that person who, in my eyes, stabbed me in the back. And I would say, Father God, I ask you to work in their life. And let me tell you how that started. That started totally and completely out of obedience to the word of God. That had nothing to do with my feelings. My feelings didn't want to do that. My feelings wanted to pray the Brutus prayer and break them at the knees. But I begin to pray that, Father God, I ask you to work in their life. So every time these thoughts would come and and they would try to get me to replay the account, the hurt and play, instead of entertaining that, I'd say, Father God, I ask you to work in their life. I ask you to work in their life. Week after week, month after month, and something began to change in me. I highlight the week after week, the month after month, because it wasn't a microwave moment. It wasn't a drive through window expectation. This is just gonna, man, I begin to work, but you know what? I begin to sense something happen on the inside of me. Father God, I pray. I pray you'll work in them. I pray you'll work in them. You know how I knew when it was getting on the inside of me? Because when it came up with thought, I just prayed it just like that. There, there was no root of, of bitterness within me anymore. I pray you work in them. Turn just a couple pages to Luke 11. Luke chapter 11. Woo, aren't you glad you came to church? Luke 11. This is stuck right in the middle of what is known as the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. I'm only gonna read verse four. And forgive us our sins. And so this is the Lord. Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive me my sins. For we also, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is in debt to us or has offended us or has done us wrong. So you know what we're saying? Father God, I I want you to forgive me the same way I forgive other people. (laughs) That's not what I said, Lord. Yes, it is. That's not what I meant. (laughs) So I read this right here. And I've gotten tug of war matches with God before when he said, forgive them. I'll forgive you the way you forgive other people. And I've said this to Father God, but Father God, they caused me pain. They stabbed me in the back. And you know what he said to me one day? He said, I'm not asking you to give them access back into your life. I'm just asking you to forgive them from your heart. When you think about them, you don't plot revenge. You're able to bless them. And something began to work in me. And you know what it started from? A decision, a choice on me To say, Father God, I release them. I forgive them. Let me highlight that again. It becomes a choice or a decision. I just release them. Listen, God's not saying you got to go on a camping trip with them. He's saying, do something from within your heart where it doesn't wreck you. It doesn't cause you to to stay up at night and plot on how you're gonna get even with them. And so when I look at what he's saying here, a fruitful life for every one of us is the result of right choices. And by God's grace, you can do humanly what's impossible. Grace me, Father God. I'm going to end with this story today. It's, it's a little lengthy, but you've got to hear this. There was a young man, uh, probably like a ninth grader or sophomore in high school. He had a younger sister that was a sixth grader. One day he had gotten word that an adult man who they felt was very trustworthy had sexually abused his sixth grade sister, an innocent child. This young man as a sophomore began to plot how he could get even with this guy. He began to become furious, become outraged. Every time he thought, how could this guy cause pain to my younger sister like this? And this man who had committed the crime, he never apologized, he never tried to right his wrong, he never even asked for forgiveness. They didn't have enough evidence to get him, though. So the older brother, he he walked furious, almost like, how could this guy get away with this? Before long, the man who had committed this crime, he developed muscular dystrophy. He literally began to die. Years passed and this older brother started reading the scriptures and he saw what the word of God said. He chose in his heart to forgive. A couple of weeks later, the Lord moved on his heart and said, I want you to write that guy who did this to your sister a note, a letter. And I want you to express to him how much you have been forgiven of. And the Lord reminded him how much he had been forgiven of. And so in the letter he wrote to the guy and said, I want you to know I'm not perfect. I've been forgiven a lot. And even in the letter he wrote how he had repented of his sins and he asked Jesus to be Lord of his life. So he pins all that. He sends this letter to this man. At this time in this man's life, He's now in care of hospice because his body had deteriorated so rapidly. And you know when hospice hospice comes in that death is inevitable, it's soon. That's what happened. This man ultimately passes away. A month after he passes away, the man who had wrote him the forgiveness letter, he got a letter in the mail. The letter in the mail was from the guy who died who had committed the ugly stuff against his sister from his hospice nurse. And she wrote to tell him, I just want you to know the day we got the letter, he asked me to read it to him. And she said, I began to read it to him. And I told him what you said about how God had forgiven you and God would forgive him. And she wrote in there that as she read the letter with with tears streaming down his face, that he was so weak he could hardly open his eyes. And then she said, I read him the part where Jesus would forgive you and come into your life and be Lord. And so after she finished, she said, he could barely move. He was so weak. He grabbed her hand and said, would you pray for me on those lines? She began to pray with him. She said, I never knew what he had done, but she said, I heard him begin to repent out of his mouth. And she said, before long, he said, and Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord. Lord. He died. He died forgiven and saved. It would have never happened if that guy wouldn't have wrote the letter and forgave. See, I look at forgiveness to us, it's a lot like money. We like to get it, we just don't like to give it. And what I find in this life right now is not only do you need a good memory You need a good forgettery too. And I'm not saying you'll never forget those things, but when you release that forgiveness from your heart, God begins to work in us. See the root of bitterness for every one of us, it'll put you in the grave. And so I'm gonna ask you some questions right now. These aren't easy questions. But if I don't, if I don't go ahead and respond to these, this stuff, will, it'll wear me out. It'll shorten your life. Do you have revenge in your heart toward a person right now? Do you have thoughts of retaliation? Do you have thoughts just like Samson with the Philistines and the Philistines with Samson? Payback, payback, payback. Let me say this in closing. Father God, I ask you to do a work in them. I ask you to do a work in them. And just that little statement brought such a freshness within me. Do a work within them, Father God. You do a work within them. See, again, the only one that knows what's in my heart is me. And I can be cool and calm on the outside, but on the inside, I can be a wreck. And so, as our praise and worship team gets ready to sing here feel like standing up I'm not going to have you come to the altar you can do this right there where you're at But let's stand before God Let, let's examine our hearts and I, I'm not saying just like me I'm, I'm telling you that person in my eyes caused pain that person in my eyes stabbed me in the back and I, I can meditate on that I can, I can uh, look at it day after day after day or I can say Father God forgive them do a work in them. Do a work in them. Always stand up. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.